The last apostle has died. The church is continuing to grow. But what will happen now that there's no apostles to lead the church? I'm Loralee Siemens, and you're listening to Church History. Today we tell the stories of some of the most influential people in the hundred years after the last apostle died. Twenty years after the church was created, Clement was born. Clement became a follower of Jesus Christ and studied theology under Paul. Clement is mentioned in the Bible in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. It says, Yes, and I'm also asking you, loyal friend, to help these women who have struggled together with me in the ministry of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the scroll of life. After Paul died, Clement continued his work. He became the fourth bishop in Rome and was very well respected in the church. When Paul was alive, he wrote two letters to the Corinthians. Clement also wrote two letters to the people in Corinth. The letter started out pretty good. The church was growing, not just in numbers, but in wisdom and spiritual development. But then greed and envy stepped in. Young men in the church who thought they should be running things overthrew the older, wiser men in the church, and now the church was in chaos. The same sexual sins that Paul had warned the church about in his letters had once again become part of the church. This is a good reminder to us today that even the early church had the same problems that we have today. The first letter to the Corinthians people is called 1 Clement, and it is the oldest non-inspired Christian literature that we have fully intact today. In this letter, Clement quotes not only the Old Testament, but also the New Testament. The letter is actually how historians dated some of the New Testament books that we don't have original copies of today. At this time, the leader of Rome was Trajan, and once again, during this time, Rome was at war. Rome was at war with Eastern Europe, and Trajan was not a fan of Christians. Like the leaders before him, he blamed the Christians every time anything bad happened. He thought because they refused to worship or give incense to the gods of Rome, they were putting curses on Rome. Each storm or each battle loss was blamed on the Christians. Clement was arrested and put in prison. Soon he was taken from the prison and sent to a quarry to work. Only the worst criminals were given this punishment. So Clement was in his late 50s at this time, working with very hardened criminals. One day they were all working in the heat and extremely thirsty. Clement walked away from the group and knelt down to pray, and then began to talk quietly. The men didn't know what to think of this guy. What a nutcase! But then suddenly a spring of water appeared. The men were shocked. They all went to drink from the cold, refreshing, clean water. That day the men listened to what Clement had to say. They heard stories from Jewish scriptures pointing towards a Messiah. And then they heard about Jesus Christ who fulfilled the prophecies and how he was nailed to a cross and then how he came back to life. The men, one by one, confessed their sins to God in repentance and placed their trust in Jesus to save them. The prisoners were not the only ones to come to Christ. Pagans who lived in the area began to hear about this preacher in the quarries breaking rocks, and they also came to hear what he had to say. Many people came to Christ. 
When the Roman officials heard that Clement had not only refused to denounce Jesus, but was preaching in the quarry, they had him taken from prison and put on a boat. Clement was then taken out to sea, an anchor tied around his neck, and then dropped into the sea to drown. He died in the year 101. Nine years later, while Trajan was still the leader of Rome, Ignatius of Antioch was also killed, and this is his story. Rome was at the time at war with the area that is today Iran. Rome was also doing a lot of building projects, building these new large structures. Ignatius was led to the Lord by John and was trained by John to be a preacher. Peter was also one of his close friends. Ignatius had lived through the death of two of his good friends, Peter at the hands of Nero and John who had died of old age after being arrested, tortured, and then imprisoned on an island. Imagine having Peter and John as your closest friends and being trained by both Peter and John to preach. What an honor. It was Peter who had left Ignatius in charge of the church in Antioch. Ignatius also wrote books, and in his book, he talked about the universal church. And what he meant by that is that the church, all of us, belongs to us as Christians. The idea that here in Canada we're part of the Canadian church, but we're also part of the church in Africa because we're all part of the same church. The Christians around the world are all part of one church family. This is the teaching that came from Ignatius. And the term for the universal church was Catholic and became known as the Catholic Church. We're going to dive more into this in later episodes. However, many Protestants will ignore teachings from the early church when they see Catholic attached to the teachings. It's really important to remember that at this point in history, Catholic simply meant universal, as in the whole church. There was not specific doctrines attached to the word. In fact, Ignatius, who used this term, was most famous in his writings for teaching about sound doctrine, keeping the tradition of the apostles, and using only the teachings of the apostles as our base for our doctrine. Trojan was visiting Syria and met Ignatius. Trojan was very angry to hear him preach and arrested him. Trojan then went to Ignatius, just take a little incense and throw it in the fire. If you do that, then I won't care what you preach. I will leave the Christians alone. All they have to do is take a little incense and throw it in the fire. I will not. I will never worship your gods. Just one little pinch of incense and then everyone lives in peace. No. Ignatius was then taken to Rome. The church in Rome heard that Ignatius was arrested and they wanted to help. They began to write letters to everyone they knew trying to find a way to get him released. They knew that if a prisoner was brought to Rome, he would probably be executed in the games in the arena. Some of the church were planning on ways to actually break Ignatius out of prison. Ignatius heard about these letters and the plans, and he wrote a letter to the church in Rome. Thank you for your prayers and your love. I'm touched. Please do not do anything to break me out of prison. Stay peaceful. I know you want to help me, but in trying to help me, you are stopping me from receiving the blessing of dying for Jesus Christ. I'm happy to know that soon I will see Jesus face to face. When I enter the arena, I will not beg for my life. In fact, I will yell at the beasts and tell them to devour me. And if they don't, I will hit them and make them mad, make sure they eat me. If you want to pray for me, pray only this, that not one tiny piece of my body is left. I don't want those who love me to be burdened with having to take care of my body after I die. The church stayed peaceful and stopped the letter campaigns. 
Ignatius was sent to the arena where crowds cheered as lions killed and ate him. There was not one single piece of him left. When Ignatius died, Justin Martyr was nine years old. He had been born in Samaria 30 years after Rome invaded and destroyed the temple. Justin's father had been given the job of ruling over the Samarian colony after the destruction of the temple. Justice grew up in the middle of chaos that is left after a great war. Justice was a very smart boy and grew up given every scholarship chance. He spoke both Greek and Latin. He mastered music, art, geography, and the teachings of Plato and Socrates. At the time, Marcus and Lucas were ruling Rome together. It was the first time Rome had two leaders working together to lead. And at this time, Rome had invaded Scotland. Now, Justice was a thinker and a philosopher, and one day on the beach, he met an old man who began to talk to him about Plato. The man showed him how Christianity had the answers to Plato's questions. That really shocked Justice, and he began to study Christianity. As Justice began to learn more about Christianity, he became very bothered by the killings of Christians in the arena games. He began to write and speak about why these killings were wrong and how they, these killings were actually going to hurt Rome. The more Justice read and learned about Christianity, the more he realized they had the only truth. And then Justice became a Christian. Once Justice became a Christian, he began to write more books and give more speeches. One of the things that Justice wrote about and spoke about was the divide between Judaism and Christianity. There were many questions amongst the Romans about this divide, especially since so many in the church were both Jew and Christian. The Jews in the church were still keeping their Jewish identity, but living in peace and as a family with the Gentile Christians. The Jews who had not converted to Christianity seemed to have a special hatred for the church. And a lot of this stemmed from the War of 70 AD when the Christians had left and refused to help defend the temple. Ignatius also wrote and spoke about pagan theology, the theology he had grown up with. He made jokes about the idea of making a god with your hands and then worshipping it. Philosophers began to debate justice. And being a well-educated man, he was very good at debating, and he won the debates against the other philosophers. Around this time, a plague broke out across Rome. It was probably smallpox, but it would end up killing five million people throughout the Roman Empire. This was a horrific time for everyone in Rome, and as usual, the church was blamed for not giving incense to the state worship. Justice was not a preacher, but he had quickly become a famous Christian. Some men tricked him by saying he was going to a debate. Justice and six of his Christian friends went to the debate. Once they got there, him and his six friends he traveled with were brought before the royal emperor and told to burn incense before they were allowed to debate. Justice, of course, refused, and so did his friends. The emperor was extremely angry and ordered the men to be beheaded immediately. The year Justice died by beheading was the year 165. Five years later, Polycarp was killed, and here is his story. Lucas had died of a disease, leaving Marcus the sole ruler of Rome. Polycarp became a Christian under the teachings of John. He studied under John, and it was John who appointed Polycarp as a bishop in Smyria. 
Polycarp was known as a defender of truth. One of the teachings that began to grow at this time was the teachings of Marcionism. The teachings said that God of the Christians was a different and greater God than the God of the Jews. This teaching was spread by Marcion himself, who had sat under the teachings of Paul. So he had people who were following him. Marcion published a New Testament, but it only included 10 letters of Paul and a short version of Luke. Polycarp then had a New Testament published. He spent years compiling, editing, and then publishing it. This New Testament, some historians believe, may have been the first complete New Testament published. Polycarp also wrote books himself. And in those books, he wrote that once a person had accepted a false heresy, a Christian could not even speak to him. One day, Polycarp was walking along the streets, and a man stopped to say hello. Polycarp continued walking and did not acknowledge the man. Hey, Polycarp, don't you know me? Yes, and I know your father, Satan. The man talking to him was a follower of Marconian. Polycarp heard about the arrest of Ignatius and that he had been taken to Rome. Polycarp went to see Ignatius and traveled along with him for a while. Polycarp kissed the chains of Ignatius and said goodbye. They would actually be reunited shortly. One night, Polycarp had a dream. He dreamt that his pillow suddenly caught fire. When he awoke, he told his family he would be killed by being burnt at the stake. There is a book called The Death of Polycarp, and this is where I find this story. The arena was full and ready for the games. Polycarp entered the arena. Suddenly a voice was heard. Be strong and keep the faith, Polycarp. No one could see where the voice came from. The proconsul asked, Are you Polycarp? Yes. You are so elderly. Renounce your face, cursed Christ. Take this oath and I'll let you live. For 86 years I've been his servant, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? If you think I can do this, you don't know who I am. I am a Christian. And if you want to learn more about the teachings of Christianity, choose the day and I will teach you. Not me. Convince the people. You would be worthy of such a discussion, but I don't think it's appropriate to try to convince these people. I have wild beasts. I will call them in. Then call them in. I will not change my mind from better to worse. If you disregard the beast, I will have you consumed by fire. Your fire will only last a short time. Yet there is another fire that awaits for those who do not repent, and it lasts forever. So what you are waiting for, do what you will. The one standing close enough to see Polycarp could see he was filled with joy. The herald went in to the arena with a statement three times. Polycarp has said he is a Christian. The crowd began to scream and pound their feet and their fists into the arena. They demanded to let the lions loose on Polycarp. But the proconsul said it was actually now illegal to allow a lion to kill him. So the crowd demanded fire. So wood was brought into the arena, and Polycarp was taken to the center of the arena. They began to prepare to nail him to the center wood. Polycarp said, The God who gave me strength to enter the fire will give me the strength to stay in the fire. So the soldiers did not nail him to the wood. Then Polycarp bent down to take off his sandals, but he began to struggle. Polycarp was very old, and the men in the church had taken it as their responsibility to unbuckle his sandals and wash his feet. 
In fact, the men in the church would argue about who would have the privilege to serve Polycarp in this way. So it took a while for Polycarp to even be able to take off his sandals, since it had been so long since he had taken his sandals off. Then he was tied to a pole, since they were not using nails, and the fire was lit. Then, instead of the smell of burnt flesh, a great, beautiful smell, like incense, filled the entire arena. The fire they had made created a circle around Polycarp and burned outward instead of burning in towards Polycarp. The council could see that Polycarp was not being killed by the fire, so he ordered a soldier to kill Polycarp. The soldier then took his sword and killed Polycarp. His blood then poured out onto the fire, and the fire was suddenly extinguished. The crowd was in awe at the death of this great man. We now cross over into a new century, and we are in the year 200. The Roman government is now run by Emperor Servus. The last decade was kind of a disaster for Rome. In the last 10 years, Rome had five different rulers and a civil war, with all five leaders trying to become Caesar. Perpetua is a Roman woman living in a pagan household. Not just any household, though, a wealthy, well-known, influential household. Perpetua was frustrated with the world around her. She had money, fame, everything she could desire, but what she saw was people fighting for power. She saw unrest and unhappiness. Perpetua had a slave whose name was Philetus. Now, as Philetus was a Christian, both Philetus and her husband would talk to Perpetua about Jesus Christ. Perpetua had a young son and wanted to know how to raise him to be a good man and not follow after the lust for power she saw around her. Perpetua listened to what the slaves had to say. This would have been a strange thing, a well-educated, rich, free woman learning from a slave. But what Perpetua saw in the young family was something she wanted to have. So she agreed to go to their church that was meeting in secret. Perpetua's father heard she was visiting this church and was very angry. Why would his daughter throw everything away to spend time with slaves who were holding secret, forbidden meetings? One day, Perpetua's father heard that soldiers had been sent to raid one of the church houses and arrest the slaves meeting there. The slaves would be used in the next games. Perpetua's father was afraid she would be at this meeting and tried to warn her. But by the time he got to the meeting, the soldiers had already arrested the people in the house. Her father convinced the guards that Perpetua was simply visiting her slave and was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. It seemed to be an obvious case of a mistake. No one at Perpetua's standings would have been at such a meeting on purpose. But when the guard asked Perpetua if this was true, she said, No, I am here because I am a Christian. Her father, took, her father took her young son to keep the baby out of prison. Perpetua, Felicitas, and the rest of the church were taken to prison. Felicitas at this point was pregnant. In prison, the church members were beaten, starved, and some were killed by guards just for fun. It was much harsher than Perpetua could have ever dreamed of. They were in prison for months, and Felicia gave birth to her baby. Her father never, Perpetua's father never stopped fighting for her release, and he was able to meet with the Caesar. The Caesar agreed she could be released if she could just take a pinch of incense and throw it in the fire. 
She would not have to denounce Jesus. She would not have to say she was not a Christian. She actually didn't have to say anything at all. Just take a pinch of incense and throw it on the fire. One day, Perpetua was taken out of prison and to a room where her father and her son were waiting for her. He told her she could be released with just putting a pinch of incense on the fire. She held her young son and she wanted so much to go home to her comforts and to be with her son. But she refused. She refused to take just a pinch of incense and throw it on the fire. Her father begged her to reconsider. She was sent back to prison. For the Romans, it was far more than just worshipping the Roman gods. They saw the worship of the Roman gods as a way to keep unity amongst a very diverse group of people that they were ruling over. They were ruling over what is today Europe and most of Africa. So many different people groups, different cultures, different languages, but they would all participate in the same rituals of worship. They would all burn the same incense and participate in the same holidays and the same festivals. The Jews had been the only people group to have an agreement to not participate in these worships. But even the Jewish people had had constant wars and uprising. Having this new group of Christians seemed even more dangerous because they were spreading to all areas of Rome and infecting all peoples of all nations and all cultures. It could not be allowed to continue without risking ending the one thing holding Rome together, the worship of Caesar. On top of that, the Goths, which were a group that were starting to attack Rome and even winning some of the battles. The night before the trial, the pastor of the church had a dream. A ladder came down from heaven and a voice called him up. But as he began climbing the ladder, snakes and dragons began to attack him. He had to fight off the snakes and the dragons to continue to climb the ladder. Once he got to the top, he saw the beauty and he saw Jesus who had a conversation with him. He awoke and he told the church that they would soon be in heaven with Jesus, but they would have to first fight Satan, who would be tempting them to give up. He also said God told him he would not have to face a bear. Being killed by a bear was his worst fear. At the trial, each person was given the opportunity to denounce Jesus Christ and throw some incense on the fire. They each refused. When Felicia had her chance, she also refused, and a family friend stepped forward and took her baby from her. I promised to raise him to love Jesus Christ and to know how much you loved him. When it was time for Perpetua to stand before the emperor, her father stepped forward so Perpetua could see him. He was holding her son. He called out to her, Think about your child. Do you want your son to grow up knowing his mother chose a false god over him? Just a pinch. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a pinch. She refused to throw the incense on the fire. Everyone was taken back to prison. While in prison, Perpetua thought about what her father had said. She didn't want her son to grow up and not know what happened to her. She wanted her son to know how much she loved him, but also wanted him to know how much she loved Jesus Christ. She began to write her story. The rest of the time in prison, she wrote a letter to her son and told her whole life story. Finally, it was the day of the games. The church was brought into the arena and soldiers with whips entered from the other area. They walked towards the group and then began to whip them. The pastor was taken and tied to a pole. And then a giant bear was released into the prison. The church looked at the pastor who suddenly paled. He had been promised in his vision by Jesus that he would not be killed by a bear. 
the bear walked towards the pastor, stood there, and then turned around, walked back into his cage, and did not kill anyone. Then came a wild boar. The boar ran towards the pastor and the last minute turned and attacked and killed the soldier who had tied the pastor to the pole. Then a leopard came and the leopard killed the pastor. Perpetua and Felicia were attacked by a bull. They were trampled and thrown into the air, but they did not die. Perpetua's dress was torn. She wanted to be modest, so she took a pin from her hair and pinned her dress so it would look okay. She then fixed her hair and stood before the emperor. She said she would not die in disgrace, but with honor. The emperor ordered the guards to kill her with the sword. The guard who was to kill Perpetua was shaking because of what he had seen her do. This is not what he had joined the military for. He should have been protecting women like Perpetua, not killing them. He could see how calm, how brave, and how beautiful she was. Perpetua knelt and even had to help the guard steady his sword so he could kill her. Normally, the crowd would cheer when the last person died, but this time was different. Perpetua wasn't a slave or a peasant. She was a Roman citizen, and a woman they had admired and looked up to. She was one of them, and she had died with such grace and dignity. The crowd turned on the court and began to boo them. Perpetua's death was a turning point for the games. People saw for the first time the humanity of what was happening, and the society's acceptance of the games began to change. The guard, when he returned to her prison, found the letter to her son. He finished the letter by adding the details of her death. The letter was then passed around the churches, and Perpetua became the first female Christian writer. Today, people still celebrate her death on March the 7th. People go to what's left of the arena and read her story. Here's a quote from the book, and it's the last sentence that she wrote. I decided last night and strengthened my resolve this morning to have eyes for no man but Jesus. If intimacy was really what he desired most, then I desired it too. I felt strongly free from life as I had known it. Her death was in the year 202. Today, the church is asked once again to accept just a pinch of sin. It is the question we have to ask ourselves. Is it worth losing everything when we could just accept just a pinch of sin and then be accepted by the culture? Is it really necessary for the church to be divided by refusing to participate in months set aside to celebrate sinful lifestyles? Should we stand for what is right or agree to get along and not be divisive? It isn't a new challenge and it isn't a new question. It's been the question the church has been faced with since the very beginning. And this is why I tell these stories. So we have examples to look at. I'm Laura Lee Siemens and this is Church History. For more podcasts, for more blogs, for more videos, come to my website at lauraleesiemens.com. 